0: It has been a pleasure already to be here to meet my brother from another mother. <laughs> Pastor Robert, uh, I am delighted to be here. I, I just want to ask you one question. Will y'all be my Valentine? Uh, I'm a dad of four. I have dad jokes. That's what I have for you. Uh, But but no, I'm so glad to be here, grateful for the invitation. It's never a small thing to me when I am invited, uh, given the opportunity, the stewardship to be able to bring God's word to God's people. And I think that we always have uh, great reason to have high expectations for what the Lord is able to do as we sit under the preaching of his word. And uh, I think we can always be confident of this one thing, that God is more committed to the ministry of this church than any of you are. And God is committed to being the true preacher here tonight. God always draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And so I, I, want, to, um, I want to invite you to pray with me as I ask the Lord to uh, bless our time. And then I will, actually, I'm going to read our text first, and then I will pray. I want you to join me in the book of Jonah this evening. We're going to read from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We're going to get kicked off uh, for our weekend, but we're going to be spending time with the prophet Jonah, and I think that there is a lot that we have to learn together as we visit uh, in this text, and so I'm going to invite you to join me there. By the way, all right, so Pastor Robert said that, you know, I I grew up in the black church and I I was used to getting feedback, and and once I came into the PCA, I realized, you know what the Presbyterian amen is? Mm. Mm. Yeah, so, so I'll receive that as feedback, unless y'all want to get a baptitarian in here and give me a little feedback. So I, I, I'll receive that as, as good feedback. But let's look at the book of Jonah, chapter one, verses one through three. This is God's word. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, Let's uh, join our hearts in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would announce yourself to your people. We pray that this evening our vision of Jesus would get greater and higher, fuller, that we would behold him in his beauty and glory, that we would find him to be more believable than ever and more worthy of our trust than we've ever been able to To muster up, all because we see the power of His grace at work in your word. So, Lord, we pray that you would bless us. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Two years ago for Christmas, my family plotted on me. They went out and bought me a Fitbit. Now, here's the deal I didn't ask for nobody's Fitbit. I wasn't looking for a Fitbit. I wasn't asking for a Fitbit. I wasn't interested in a Fitbit. I never came across a Fitbit in the store and said, that looks interesting. No, but again, I said, it was a plot. So they buy me this Fitbit. And if you don't know what a Fitbit is, the Lord bless you. But here's what it is. (laughs) A Fitbit is this watch that you wear that counts your steps when you walk. Now, this Fitbit, it comes programmed with the metric of the American Heart Association that says you have to get 10,000 steps a day in order to have a healthy heart. Now, I was under the impression that I was a healthy person. Uh, But when I got this Fitbit and I decided to wear it, I, I noticed that at the end of my days, I would get these notifications, I would get these encouragements that would say, Keep going. You're only 9,000 steps away from your goal. (laughs) Give me a break. I'm a pastor. I got to read the books, okay? But it was trying to encourage me. The goal was 10,000 steps, but it would always tell me how far I was falling from the goal, how short I was of the goal. So I came up with a plan. I figured out that you can actually go into the program... And you can reprogram the goal. So I moved the goal to 1,000 steps. (laughs) And so I started getting these encouragements that said, right on, Russ, you're rocking it. Way to go. You're crushing your goal. (laughs) Felt pretty good. Uh, And I even had the nerve to tell my wife after 30 days, I say, babe, 30 days of meeting my step goal. She's like, all right. You see, all I did (laughs) All I did was manipulate the standard. The standard of the Fitbit did not suit me. So I just changed it to my own detriment in order to make it appear as if I had a healthy heart. But at the end of the day, I was just fooling myself. Now, here's the deal. Whether we like it or not, whether we were looking for it or not, the Lord has given us a standard of neighbor love of cross-cultural love that is required for us to have a healthy heart. And when we come to his word, we get encouragement after encouragement to keep pressing on toward that goal of love for God and love for neighbor because we're not getting in our steps. We're falling short of the goal. But far too often what we do when we're falling short of the goal, instead of rising up, instead of humbling ourselves, repenting and believing and trusting in the Lord's grace for new obedience, so often what we do is we go in and we change the program. We make it, we we make the goal change. We manipulate the goal to make it fit what we're already doing. We come in and we interpret the passages in such a way that it makes us look good. We, we, we find ourselves meeting this logo of loving the people that love us. Of, of loving the people who are actually lovable. Of loving the people who are like us. Who share our politics. Who come from the same ethnic and, and social background that we do. This is what our hearts are prone to do with God's word. We will even use our theology in order to reduce these goals, to make them more reasonable. And then we have the nerve to pat ourselves on the back for how strong our theology is and how rich our heritage is. All the while, we're just using it to avoid the goal. Our time this weekend, we are going to spend with Jonah. Another person who knew what it was like to change the standard to fewer steps if you will. And as we read the story of Jonah as we sit with this story we're going to we're going to learn something about the way in which we we betray the call to neighbor love. But we're also as we follow the story we're going to we're going to see the way that, that neighbor love is actually displayed. So we're going to we're going to approach our passage this evening Through two points. We're going to see neighbor love betrayed and neighbor love displayed. Neighbor love betrayed and neighbor love displayed. Now, look, I got to alliterate. I grew up in a black church. I got to make this thing rhyme. It's in me. It don't feel right if it don't rhyme. All right. I just need y'all to love your neighbor tonight and receive my rhyming points. Okay. so let's look at our first point. Neighbor love betrayed. Now, many of us have heard about this Jonah character. We've heard about the the biggest episode where he's swallowed by a fish. Many of us are familiar with this this story. And we know that, that the narrator is using Jonah as a negative example. There's a critique that is falling on Jonah for the way in which he's living his life, for the way in which he is failing to respond to the Lord's call on his life. But oftentimes, we, we, haven't, we haven't gotten beneath the surface on what exactly was happening when he was running from the call. What exactly was Jonah called to? We have to get beneath the surface on this in order to appreciate what exactly the scriptures are saying in their critique of Jonah. And then... How the scriptures are calling us, pointing us out, but inviting us to a different way of life. And it starts, if you look in verse 1, if you look at the text, it tells us about this character, Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, the only other time you see this name, this phrase, Jonah, son of Amittai, it's in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And what we learn, if we go back to this passage, is we learn that, that Jonah was a prophet in the golden age of the prophets. At this time, he's prophesying during the reign of Jeroboam II. And his contemporaries at the time were Isaiah, uh Prophets like Isaiah and and, and other contemporaries at the time. This, This was the golden age. This is when the Lord was speaking to his people through the prophets. And when God gave his word to the prophets, his word always came to the prophets while they were within the land of Israel. And it was often for the people in Israel. And anytime the, the Lord gave the prophets a word against the nations or a word for the nations, they always received that word within the relative safety of the borders of Israel. Think about that for a second. The standard, the standard way that the Lord used the prophets is they would be living in their homeland, they would receive the word of the Lord... And then they would either speak to Israel, the word that was given them from the Lord, or they would speak out about the nations from their own homeland. But with Jonah, we have a different call. Because Jonah is called by the Lord to leave his homeland. He's called to cross borders. He's called to cross geographic borders. He's called to cross a religious border. He's called to cross an ethnic or cultural border. He's called to go to a people who aren't like him. A people that he doesn't have anything in common with. You see, this is the call of the Lord to Jonah. It's a cross-cultural call. It's a call to cross-cultural ministry. And that is the word that Jonah rejects. It's that call. That Jonah rejects. And what we are set up to see from the very beginning. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And what Jonah does with the word. Is he he rejects it. And what we're seeing right from the very start. Is the heart of God. Versus the heart of the prophet. God has a heart for those people to hear his word. Jonah does not. Jonah does not want to share this word. All right. All right. Jonah's concern stopped at the borders of his own homeland. His concern did not get outside of the borders of his own people. This second king's context tells us that the success of Jonah's ministry took place during this reign of Jeroboam II. Now here's the deal. At this time... The text tells us in 2 Kings that Israel was living in sin. That they were, they were not living in the way the Lord had called them to live. But yet and still, the Lord blessed them. The Lord was merciful to them. Jonah's ministry to his own people was a ministry of mercy. The text tells us that the Lord wouldn't blot out the name of Israel. The, it, it tells us that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord, but he wouldn't blot out the name of Israel. And God actually allowed them to flourish. And any time the nation flourished, guess who got the credit? The king and the prophet. They got the credit. So what I want you to see here about Jonah is that Jonah, he's, before he gets this word in the book of Jonah, he's accustomed to doing ministry to his people. He's a beloved figure among his people. He's sort of like a hometown hero. He is, he's beloved. Why? Because he brought a good word of flourishing for the people. So he's well received. So you can appreciate now the the way in which the call of God in the book of Jonah must have landed on him. God is calling him to leave that celebrated place. The place where people knew his name. The place where his name rang out and people respected him. People loved him. People looked up to him. They they recognized his status. He's called to leave that place to go to Nineveh. And you know, you know who these people were? Those people. That's who Nineveh was? Those people. Nineveh is in Assyria. It was the capital of Assyria. And what you need to appreciate about Nineveh is that if any Israelite heard the name Nineveh, their skin would crawl. It would crawl because this was a people that was known for violence. They had a very violent culture. They they carried out brutal military conquests. The things that they would do, you can't talk about in front of children. That's how brutal they were. They they were savage in the way that, that their culture celebrated violence. And they were pagans. They were those people. They didn't know the Lord Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with them. He had no love for them. He had no concern for them. And when he gets called by God to go to those people, he can't bear it. He can't bear it. So he runs. He runs. You can imagine this weight, this hostile people he's called to go to. And he doesn't want to have any part of it. He could lose it all. Do you see the reputation he would be throwing away? Because what do you think his fellow Israelites would think about him if he went and ministered to those people? What are are they going to think of me? This is what you can imagine going through Jonah's head. Jonah, go to Nineveh. God, do you know who these people are? God, do you know what these people have done? Do you know what they will do to me? Go to Nineveh. So Jonah runs. It's meant to be a little comical. I mean, every other time you see the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, the next step is, and they did what God said to do. But with Jonah he does the exact opposite he he goes in the opposite direction he runs because he despises those people he runs because his heart is small he runs because he thinks that god will just have to use somebody else if he's not going to do it he might use someone who's interested in that sort of thing you know some people they have a heart for nineveh ministry all right <laughs> now He runs because the mission of God does not suit him. But what we're going to see through the rest of the narrative is that even though the mission doesn't suit Jonah, God is going to suit Jonah for the mission. And he commits to that same thing in the lives of his people today. God's mission may not suit you. Neighbor love may not suit you right now, but God will suit you for neighbor love. He's going to prepare you for that. Sometimes it takes a hard word to get a soft heart. You know what I'm saying? So I want you to see this. Jonah, Jonah doesn't want anything to do with this, but guess what? Jonah was orthodox. Jonah was a prophet for crying out loud. He knew his theology, he went to worship, he was confessional, he read a chapter a day to keep the devil away. He, But what you have to see is that Jonah used his orthodoxy as a replacement for love rather than an inducement to love. He used his knowledge of theology, his knowledge of God's ways in the history of what God had done with his people. He used his theology as a replacement for love rather than an inducement to love, an encouragement to love. And it's easy to do that. It's easy to think that because you invited John Calvin into your heart, that you are actually living (laughs) the theology that Calvin endorses. It's easy to think. It's easy easy to confuse having a big head with having a big heart. But, But this text is a warning that even a prophet with all of his knowledge, with his understanding of the revelation of God, is not protected from having a hard heart. Do you see the critique now? Do you see the way the book is critiquing Jonah, the prophet? Jonah is running from his cross-cultural calling. He betrays the beauty of God's vision for his people. And it's at this very point that the narrator is mocking Jonah. He's drawing Israel into this rebuke because when Israel looked at Jonah, they would have identified with him. They were supposed to identify with Jonah in his failure. Because they too had failed to live up to the mission of God. In Jonah's failure, they see themselves. They see their own disobedience, their own failure. And guess what? The text is drawing us in as well. It's drawing us in. Jonah, just, he doesn't just disobey the word of God, which he does. He disobeys the Lord's word with reference to the cross-cultural calling. The calling to neighbor love. That's the specific emphasis of this text. We're familiar with this, aren't we? We're familiar with only loving those who love us. We only love those who love us and we still want the credit for being loving people. That's like the moral equivalent of a blue ribbon for participation. That's what Jesus says. You love those who love you back. Great. Anybody can do that. Why don't you try loving the people who don't love you back? You love people who are lovable. Great. But why don't you try loving the people who are unlovable? Everybody loves love until they have someone who's difficult to love, right? You know, if it hasn't begun to hurt yet, it's probably not the love that we witness in the scriptures. If it hasn't started to great you yet, then it probably isn't the kind of love we're talking about in God's book. If it hasn't required you to adjust your life, to change your schedule, to adjust your rhythms, to change your calendar, then it may not be the, the quality of love that we witness in God's word. It's challenging anybody listen anybody can be loving when they control the definition when they reduce the demands when they take out the sacrificial when they shrink the circle of who qualifies for that love but you know what this is like this is like that story of the man who was driving down the road and down a country road much like one of these kentucky country roads and he looks off and he sees a barn and on the barn is this bullseye with a bunch of arrows right in the middle. I mean, there, there's a bullseye here with an arrow in the middle and there's a bullseye here with an arrow in the middle. And he's astonished. What a marksman must live here. And so he pulls off and he runs into a gentleman. He said, are you the one that that, that hit all these bullseyes? And the gentleman said, yeah, that was me. He's like, how did you get such marksmanship? He said, well, it's really nothing. I shoot the arrow and then I go and I paint the bullseye around it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? This is, this is what we often do when it comes to love. We point to where we've already shot the arrow and we just draw the bullseye around it. Here's the deal love as it is given to us through God's word, love as it's communicated through God's story does not require the beloved to pre-qualify or satisfy requirements. Love has no fine print at the bottom of the page. Love has no exception clauses. Love extends even to enemies. Love, Paul Miller says, has no exit strategy. That's the kind of demanding neighbor love we're called to. And in this text, we see God's heart. God wants to send his people to those people so that those people will become his people. You see that? God wants to send his people to those people so that those people can become his people. We all know, however, what it's like to fall short of that standard. So how do we change? How can we change? This is the million-dollar question. How can we be different? How can we be a different kind of people? Where do we get the resources to grow in this way? We're like the Grinch. The Grinch had a problem. His heart was three sizes too small. But what you see is when he witnesses the joy and the love of others... The story goes that his heart grew. It grew three sizes. How does our heart grow from its smallness? How do we enlarge our hearts? We have to see neighbor love displayed. And that brings us to our second point neighbor love displayed. When we read the narrative of Jonah, it leaves us longing, it leaves something to be desired. We're expecting so much more from a prophet of God, aren't we? This book tells the story of neighbor love betrayed in order to lead us to the story of neighbor love displayed. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is having a debate with his his opponents. And they say, show us a sign so that we'll know that you're the real deal. And Jesus says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth three days. Listen, something greater than Jonah is here. That's what Jesus says to his opponents. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he says, if you look back at Jonah, you're going to get a leading to me. Because that prophet is going to disappoint you. That prophet is going to show you what failure before the, 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 the eyes of God looks like. That prophet's going to show you what it looks like to drop the ball on the call of God to cross borders in love. But that is all meant to lead you to me. The true and greater prophet. The prophet Jonah was so utterly for himself. And that is meant to lead us to one who was so utterly for those people. The word of the Lord came to another prophet. The word of the Lord came to the Son of God and when he heard the call, he was faithful to the call because he shared the heart of God. His heart was one with the heart of the Father. The Father had a heart for those people and so did this true and greater prophet, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was called to cross borders that were far more hostile than any of the borders that Jonah was called to cross. Because Jesus was called to cross the border from heaven to earth. From from the land of the righteous to the land of the unrighteous. To the land of the holy to the land of the unholy. From the land of the living to the land of the dead. And he crossed that border with with far greater speed than Jonah had in running away from it. But here's the deal. He didn't just stand to lose everything with respect to his reputation like Jonah. He actually did lose everything. He actually did. He could have said to the father, Father, do you know who these people are? Father, do you know what these people have done? Do you know what they will do to me? I know, but let's redeem them. That's the word of Jesus. In the way that he crosses the border to us, he wasn't looking for excuses to evade the call. He was looking for opportunities to fulfill the call. Jesus comes to do the will of the Father. He's the true and greater prophet about whom this story is written. And when we are struck with the beauty of his border crossing love, then guess what? We become a border crossing people. It's only the love of Jesus, it's only the ministry of Jesus to us that will produce this kind of ministry through us. Do you see? This is not about being politically correct. This is about being conformed to the likeness of this Jesus. Following this Jesus in this way. You know, this, this is the amazing thing about this text. That we can't even begin to grasp the cost that he paid in crossing those borders. What he gave up. I, I'm always, every Advent... We sing this song at our church called Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. Do you know that
1: one? Let all mortal flesh keep silence And with fear and trembling stand Ponder nothing earthly-minded For with blessing in his hands, Christ our God to earth descendeth. As the darkness clears away, this is the line I love. Rank on rank the host of heaven. Spreads its vanguard on the way As the light of light descendeth From the realms of endless day That the powers of hell may vanish As the darkness clears away. Rank on rank, the host of heaven
0: spreads its vanguard on the way. As the light of light descendeth from the realms of ancient day. They cover their faces. They recognize the holiness that is descending. It's it's impossible For us to grasp what it was like for Him to cross over to us. And if He was willing to do that for us, how willing should our hearts be to cross over the petty borders that keep us separated? You see, it's only a border-crossing God that can create a border-crossing people. And that's exactly where we must turn our gaze if we are to become that kind of people. It's by beholding the Gospel It's by the freshness of his love, his new mercies every morning that we rise to. It's by virtue of his covenant faithfulness, his love poured out on us day after day, moment by moment. The consistency of his smile over our lives, his constant delight in us when we are melted by that love. He will say, go, and we'll say, where? He'll say, love, and we'll say, whom? And he'll say, everybody. You say, done. That's how the gospel, only the gospel can do this. And that's where the Christian faith is different than the ethic of our culture. We hear a lot in our culture about tolerance, don't we? Tolerance isn't a bad thing. But what you have to appreciate is that tolerance is not the Christian virtue. Love is. You can tolerate someone while you despise them in your heart. You can tolerate someone while you condescend toward them and think less of them and treat treat them in your mind as less than an image bearer. While you, as Jesus says, murder them in your heart. You can do that all while you tolerate them. But Jesus isn't calling you to tolerate people. He's calling you to love them. To love as you've been loved. You know, when you're loved in this way, you don't need to cast clouds of disapproval over sinners. Hmm. See what you're doing over there? And I don't approve. Wow, tell me about your God. You know, you see, it doesn't really... It doesn't really work like that. But when you love people fiercely, if you you love them fiercely and faithfully, it makes your words, they, they might actually take your words seriously. They might actually give thought to what you have to say. We're called to love. Here's the thing this is amazing about the text. We look into this text and we see ourselves in a failure of Jonah, but we're not just invited to see ourselves in a failure of Jonah. We're invited to see ourselves as the Ninevites, violent, A, a, a brutal culture. Those people, you're no longer those people because of the love of the father. So here's a question. How do we actually, how do we begin to work this out? I want to encourage you to run all of your excuses for evading this call to cross-cultural love, to neighbor love. Run all of your excuses to the gospel. And ask yourself this question. Where would I be if Jesus had taken my logic? You know, Father, we don't really have anything in common. I'm holy. They're not. I'm righteous, they're not. I love you, they don't. I'm good, they're bad. I mean, Father, we're like oil and water. It's like, it's like we, don't, we just don't fit. Where, where would we be? You know, Father, I'm kind of busy running the world. I don't know that I really have time. It's not practical for me to... Take on human flesh and be born as a baby and, and spend all that time just, you know, they're not even going to write about it in the Bible and all that time in the ordinary life being a carpenter. That's just, it doesn't seem very efficient, Father. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like, like run your excuses to the gospel and allow the gospel to crush that logic that comes from the pit of hell. That is the deceptive lie of the evil one. It's subtle. The evil one doesn't come at us and say, I'm coming to destroy your neighbor love. No. He's subtle. He he doesn't need you to all fool out, hate people. All he has to do is make you indifferent. And he has accomplished the goal. Run your logic to the gospel. Second, focus more on who you're becoming than what you're doing. Don't treat this like a checklist. In fact, that's a pretty, um, that's a pretty, that steals the joy out of it. The, The most important question you have to answer at the beginning of every day is not what do I have to do. It's who must I become today? Who must I become before God? Who must I become in light of the love that has been shown to me? And when you focus more on who you must become and you're not worried about a checklist and you are free to fully love the people around you and you're not stepping over some people to get to the other people that you would prefer to love, when you're not bypassing people right here, you become more sensitive you become more empathetic, then you will actually begin to embody this this neighbor love because most of the most of the challenge that we face when it comes to neighbor love is that people become invisible to us i I, I did a, some interviews with with some of the folks in my neighborhood who live on the street when I was planting our church uh, a few years ago and one of the consistent things when I ask them, what is most difficult about life? What's, what's the hardest thing you have to face? They, I mean, it was, the number one was feeling invisible. Like people don't see me. Like I, I'm not, I don't even register on their radar. We all have invisible people. But the gospel makes people visible again. We see them and we value them. here's another thing too i want to encourage you there is a plague in our society that i that i want you to resist and i want you to think about it here's the plague in our society people have a desire to look good without actually being good the desire to look good without actually being good in other words you can do this in a performative way let me show you all the friends i have from outside of my world To do it in a performative way, to to try and look good without actually in your heart having the kind of transformative experience of the gospel that helps you to deeply value people and not use them in order to prop up your own own appearance. Another thing I'll say is this. Prioritize cross-cultural substance over cross-cultural optics. You know, sometimes you can be the substance And the optics, they're just slow in developing. And sometimes you can have the optics, but not have the substance. Focus on being the real deal. Focus on the substance of neighbor love. Actually being a neighbor loving community. And the neighbors may actually find their way in here more and more. They will find their way in here more and more. If you just focus on actually being the real deal. Don't let anyone guilt you into feeling like you have to jump through the hoops in a performative kind of way. No, it's a heart-searching thing where you actually long to become such a beautiful witness to the kind of love that's been shown toward us in the gospel. That you actually just, it becomes second nature, if you will. Third, or fourth, I don't even know what number this is. I get lost sometimes. Um, let your calendar reflect your commitment to neighbor love. Like, that's a real practical way. Like, like, I could say all day, you know, I really value group A. But if you look through my calendar, you never see group A show up on my calendar. It brings into question how much I love group A, right? If I say, yeah, I love you, I love, man, I love you. And you're like, when are we going to spend time? You yeah, sometime. <laughs> I, I love you sometime we're going to spend time. And then five years later, I, I love you. I love you. So, so let's be about more than talk, right? And one practical way for you to get beyond talk is put it in the calendar to spend time. And in that time, you know what that calendar time may be? Maybe you say, I don't have any friends from the, uh, the LGBTQ community here in the city, but you know what I'm going to do during that hour that I have blocked out? I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk a neighborhood. I'm going to walk a street. I'm going to show up at a place. I'm going to pray during that time. And I'm going to ask the Lord to help me to be someone who loves this community. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me to be someone who demonstrates the love of Jesus to this community, that he might even give me a relationship, a friendship with someone from this community. And try the Lord in this and see if he won't show up and answer that prayer. Be, be ready for the surprising answer to that prayer. Invite trusted friends to hold you accountable to these things. Share with them what you're aspiring to become and how you're going to actionize that. And then invite them to hold you accountable to it. Where you fail, repent, believe the gospel, and and, and, and rise up and aspire to new obedience. The gospel of Jesus and its beauty is the only thing that can drive us in this direction. And let's let this be the only thing that we, that we seek to fuel this vision for neighbor love. Let's pray that over the rest of this weekend, the Lord meets us in the strength of his love in order to encourage us, to give us creative ideas about how we could put this into action, to love one another enough to press each other on, to spur one another on to love and good deeds so that our neighbors may see more of Jesus through the way that we love them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We are freshly reminded of the glory of Jesus and the greatness of Your love in sending Him to rescue us from our sin. We are so grateful to You, Lord. That you sent him and we are grateful to you, Jesus, that you willingly crossed the borders to us. And we are grateful to you, Spirit, that you have opened our eyes to see Jesus and to trust in him. To place our hope in him and to be united to him by faith. We are grateful for your regenerating work in our hearts. I praise you for this church. I'm so grateful for the story of this community. I'm grateful for all the good that you're already doing in them and through them. And I pray that this weekend would be an encouragement, an uplift to them. I pray that they would receive the encouragement from your word, that they would rise up into the challenge of your word, and that you would beautify their lives as individuals and as a community. Bless the pastors and elders of this church and the deacons. I pray that you would encourage them in the work, bless their leadership. I pray that you would help them to be the the most wonderful united team. And I pray that this church would just flourish more and more as they seek to love their neighbors. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.